have a dream that all men are created equal. your story. I'm your host Ian Cass. This is episode 36. Today's story is all about creativity and creation is what I'm doing here with this little podcast and that's why I've been away for a little bit. I've been a little bit busy doing some videos. My family's just celebrated 125 years that we've been here in Australia and I've done a couple of little videos. They're more for the family than for general publication but if you're interested they are over on my private site which is iancath.com. Nothing too exciting, small family-based stuff, but uh, I've been practicing my video editing skills a little bit over there. It's good fun. I enjoy it a great deal, but God, it doesn't it take some time. I'm doing it in preparation for a trip to Buenos Aires that I'm doing next month in June, towards the end of June. I'm going to be over there for the bulk of July. I'm going over there for tango. I do a little bit of tango and I want to improve my skills and we're going over there as a group people I learn with and uh, we're going to be learning a bit of that and I'm also going to try and tip it, dip into the whole Argentinian scene a little bit and see what I can dig up for the podcast get a few podcast episodes out I hope maybe some video uh, depending on how things go and I want to get my skills up to speed so I can actually edit at a reasonable pace rather than struggling for days on end just to get one little video out so that's why I've been putting a bit of effort into that Another little thing that's been happening behind the scenes is I picked up a couple of lapel mics which I've used on this particular episode I got these lapel mics from Giant Squid over in USA. I've got some links over on the site if you want to check them out. Uh, they do a really nice, these are handmade little lapel mics that this one chap makes. And they're really quite beautiful and they work just stunning. You know, really, really quite beautiful little pieces of kit. I was able to get these because I got a donation from Adam in Prague. Adam, you might remember, was on episode 25. I caught up with him when I was over in Prague last year and we had a great time together for three days. And uh, for some reason, out of the blue, he sent me a donation, and I really appreciate that. And I've said it before, and I'll say it again. Thanks, Adam. It was really wonderful. Very beautiful gesture. So I, um, I went out, and I actually put that money towards these lapel mics, and went a good long way towards getting them. And it's nice to actually know that every time I pick them up, I can think of Adam and the fact that uh, I got the donation from him to be able to go and get these. He's a bit of a journalist, a bit of a raconteur, he's a bit of a lad, and uh, if you go back to listen to that episode, if you haven't heard it before, you'll understand what I'm saying. It's a particular episode, I don't know why, but it's just going off. There's so many downloads of that one particular episode, for some strange reason. Don't know why, just the way it is sometimes. But you may remember me mentioning on a previous episode that a couple of people have been hassling me about me putting up something to enable them to make donations and the like so i finally got around to it i finally got into paypal and i've got a uh, donation link over on the sidebar that takes you to a page with a few uh, buttons that you can actually go to paypal and subscribe or donate if you want to do that 
there's no obligations, no hassle. This is just going to keep coming out. But it does help me a little bit. It helps to pay for the bandwidth and hosting and, you know, and things like a couple of little bell mics. And, you know, it goes towards all the kit that I've spent. I've spent a fortune getting this thing up and running. But it is my passion. This is what I want to do. And, frankly, if somebody can actually give me some ideas of how I can actually make some money from these associated skills i'd really appreciate it i don't want to charge for the podcast i have no intentions of ever doing that this will always be a free thing but i'd like to take these skills and somehow rather generate some income that'd be really nice and the site the site of course is yourstorypodcast.com i've also put some social site buttons over on the site yeah things like Flickr and friend feed and all those sort of things so you can easily friend me now it's all over on the sidebar just click on one of those and you'll see my twitter um site page and you can friend me on twitter you know, i'm a reasonably heavy tw- heavy twitter user so if you don't uh, if you haven't friended me yet on facebook or whatever just hook over there and friend me and i'll uh, and send me a little link so i know that you're not a spammer because there are a lot of spammers out there and occasionally i can actually glean that these people and maybe possibly podcast listeners but most of the time it's just a guess so um, just send me a little note you know a little at comment or something like that email is chat at your story podcast I'd love to hear from you. It's always good to get emails. Yum, yum. And you can always help out by uh, subscribing in uh, iTunes. If you're not, most of you you are probably getting it through iTunes. But if you're not, um, over iTunes is the easiest way to get it. And you can also leave a comment. I love comments over on iTunes. It helps so much with Google Juice. I've mentioned this before. Stumble, dig, all that sort of stuff. The music, of course. Iodo Promonet. Don't we love Iota? It's just so nice to know that I don't have to worry about copyright stuff. And I can just go over there and grab one of those soundtracks and uh well those tracks of music and use it as a soundtrack like you can hear bubbling away under under me right now anyway let's get on to today's show i'm a creative person i've mentioned to you a few times before how i've managed to work in film and theater and i've built my own house and i've had the great opportunity in my life to make a lot of things and i've i think it's a wonderful thing and i think everybody has a fundamental urge to be creative at some level this podcast is another creative exercise for me, which I that's one reason I get a great deal of satisfaction out of it, even though I'm not physically making something like a table. It is still very creative. Well, how many of you would love to create, to be a craftsman, to be an artist, to actually make your living from the creative ex- ex- aspects of what you do? <laughs> Frankly, I'd love to be able to make a living out of what I'm doing here with this audio podcasting thing. Well, that's what today's story is about. Chris is now starting to make some real success after 15 years of slowly chipping away at the aspects of developing the skills, learning the important crafts of uh, making things, of painting, of the business side of art. He explains the joy, the pain, the struggle, the success of finally getting ahead with his unique art form. And it is quite a unique way of actually painting. This is a story about the joy of art, about creativity, and how if you keep going, you can get there. And Chris is really starting to get there. I think he's very talented. I thoroughly enjoyed doing this episode. This is Chris's story. Seventh of April, two thousand and nine. Hello, Chris Booth. <laughs> Chris is an artist. Uh, Chris and I have worked together a few times over the years making props and bits and pieces for theatre productions. And recently I've been getting to know Chris as the artist who produces some quite amazing pieces of artwork. 
building up three-dimensional layers of material to create this depth um, and using an anime pop style of art form which I've shown a few photos on Twitter and I've had quite a strong reaction to them which is pretty damn cool so we're sitting down today talking about the trials and tribulations of being an artist with things that I'm sure a lot of people don't know because everybody thinks that you sit in a beautiful gallery like we're here overlooking this beautiful picturesque lake with the uh, the rolling meadows in the distance. So right. And uh, you've got your uh, manservant over there brewing us a coffee and you know, it's just it's truly the artist's sublime. life. Yeah. Yeah. That's the artist's life. That's what everybody thinks. Well, Fine cigars in the humidor and all that sort of <laughs> stuff. In well, actual fact, it's far from that reality, isn't it, Chris? So we're going to talk about all this. It is indeed. In fact, it was, I was pondering what I was going to actually say. And the first thing probably was that I think a lot of people have misconceptions about being an artist in that um, uh, particularly, well, it's actually a really, not to play it hard, but it's actually a really peculiar lifestyle that you're, uh, you're self-employed making something that's really at the whim and fancy of, of fashion and style and it's, in a lot of respects, it's completely unneeded. Uh, you're completely self-directed uh, and the pay's terrible most of the time um, and you might never make any money ever. And, I mean, there's lots of professions like that, I'm sure, but um, uh, the, the arts generally can be pretty hard ways of earning an income, uh, structuring yourself professionally, all those sorts of bits and pieces. There are some awesome moments. Um, I certainly don't think I would like to change what I do for anything else because sitting around uh, in my studio is probably one of my favourite places to be ever, uh, but it is actually hard work. And you do a lot of hours, and uh, but at the same time, it's highly rewarding. Mm. You know, I enjoy it immensely. How long have you been doing it, Chris? Uh, I've about 15 years now. Okay, um, so were you, were you one of these kids at school who were always sketching and drawing? Oh, well, I think the, the, the genesis of what I actually do starts tapping away in my dad's workshop with hammer and nails and making cross, as, as lots of kids do, you know, making crossbows and small incendiary devices, bombs, <laughs> uh, you know. Uh, Bows and arrows, and then I think we migrated to uh, small guns. And just, it's, I, and I say that because it's more about just making things. I, I, there are, I mean, the, the arts come in a whole range of different, or the creative arts come in a whole range of different uh, forms. And I guess there are those who think of themselves as you know, very the fine artists, which are you know, painters and watercolorists and so forth. I, I tend to think of myself more as a maker in that. The, de the delineations or the definitions of, of making are, are pretty broad. And so it's, I'm a painter, but I make paintings because they're kind of constructions, they're kind of paintings. Uh, See, a lot of people, would, that would fall into craft, what a lot of people would say. You know, uh, yeah, potters yeah, yeah, are yeah, yeah. more craftsmen than artists. Well, But they are an art form. Most you know? definitely. Um, so you're sort of saying that even though your paintings are a painting, they have a strong craft element to them. Well, my, the, my first experience with art, I mean, I didn't do art at school. Uh, the school I went to was kind of generally pushed people towards sort of uh, pro professional jobs in terms of uh, law, science, blah, 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 and all that sort of stuff. Uh, and I went through school thinking that's kind of what I would do. And it was so not what I was going to do. And so I kind of stumbled into art college, uh, kind of to placate my family who came for me to go to uni. And I was supposed to, I had this plan, I was going to go to Vanuatu and live on a mate's boat and brew rum 
That's definitely what I was going to do. Lifestyle <laughs> sounds pretty good. My friend went um, and lived on this boat, and um, there was the boat wasn't quite big enough for me as well, and so uh, I ended up going to do an interview for Craft Ceramics, which is um, which is more kind of like a traditional pottery. Uh, I got in, and before I knew it, it was just like oh, this. Is, like school had never made a great deal of sense. I wasn't a bad student, but it never made much sense. Mm. And all of a sudden, here I was, and you know. It was a creative environment, and uh, you just got to make things. And so it started off with ceramics, which is, as you said before, which is kind of the craft end of things. Uh, and in Australia, particularly, there's a real um, there was there's always this kind of strange uh, element of craft and art. Uh, and ceramics definitely falls, in some people's perceptions, into that craft end of things. Uh, I actually had a bit of trouble with that. Uh, now I don't, I don't care, whatever, but. Um, I, and I loved it, it was great fun. Um, it was just creative. And then that led to more pottery work into sculptural ceramics. And when I finished uni, I didn't have a kiln and I didn't have access to some of the equipment. So I got into painting. I taught myself to paint and draw and all those sorts of things. It's just design and making. Uh, and so all those skills are fairly uh, applicable across yeah. the board. Yeah. Yeah. So the fact that you've got this making background, much like myself, means yes. that anytime you were to do painting, you want to add that element to it. Describe, describe these paintings that you've got a little bit of success with these days that you're putting out. Uh, okay, well these... And uh, there are photos over on the site, so go and look on the site, people. Go and have a peek. Um, I, I call them... Uh, I, I've termed these, this kind of works what I call super pop, which is a, it's a marriage of pop art meets lowbrow. Um, uh, it's a combination of Japanese-inspired um, otaka or uh, super flat paintings, which are... I guess uh, the super flat movement comes around in about 1970s in Japan, which is all about the destruction of the earth and robots and atomic uh, annihilation and all that sort of stuff, oil crisis and terrorists. Uh, and so out of that comes this whole, which is you know, post-Japanese or post-Second uh, sort of World War Japan. Um, is this like Astro Boy? Astro Boy is a classic example. Right. Yeah, and yeah all I that grew up whole, with Astro Boy. Yeah, all yeah. that whole generation of cartoons yeah. and animation. Yeah, they're yeah. all kind of, uh, they're all, post-apocalyptic Japan yeah. and um, how people kind of tend to uh, assess all those, that, that new recent history amongst themselves. Um, so there's the element of that um, and uh, so it, I would call it super flat meets pop, uh, classic pop art but with a West Coast American lowbrow uh, art which is more sort of pop surrealism and uh, a little bit, little bit darker and uh, yeah, a little bit more dreamy and surrealist. Okay, okay so that's the style. Describe describe the paintings for okay. people who aren't going to go to the website and have and, a look at the photos. Work out what the earth I just said. Yeah. Um, the, the paintings themselves... And I'm actually thinking of the structure. The, bit, right. yeah. the paintings themselves, uh, they're multi-layered in terms of they're a series of cutouts of timber, timber like flat timber, kind of like a pop... But they, in, 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 they look like a pop-up book. If you open the pop-up book, there's a multitude of layers to kind of give that three-dimensional effect or dimensionality. Uh, within that there are some constraints in terms of the materials and, and that you work with, but essentially the paintings come out from the canvas. Before I mentioned that um, my background was in ceramic sculpture and props and sets and all that sort of stuff, which, which is where I met you. And I guess in some respects this work comes from uh, that whole concept of building. Um, it's sculpture but also meets the facade of theatre and sets, which is all about creating a surface, and like a, a a fake depth or a false depth. I remember years ago I went to, uh, 
I got tickets to go and see the ballet and the ballet was great, but I just loved, I had never seen sets like this before that can create that false illusion of, or that illusion of, of depth, uh, you know, forced perspective. And uh, it reminded me a little bit of diorams used to make at school. We'd poke your eye through the, through the hole in the box and you'd have, create these little worlds that had a, a sense of forced perspective. And I guess that's kind of what I'm doing now is you're squashing perspective into a very small, small area um, and creating that, you know, shadow and, and light and, and depth and all that sort of stuff. I find your paintings fascinating in that um, I went and saw the one in the uh, museum in Brisbane recently and I took a photo of it and in looking at the photo of it you don't appreciate the depth so much. You, mm, you see really... it and it looks strong, it's definitely a vibrant yeah. sort of painting but being there when I took the photo all you have to do is move your head you know five, five millimeters and you can actually see the depth because it's real so it's definitely a sort of art form that I think works in the real world far better than oh, look, I have heaps any of, photo or, yeah I, I regularly have uh, not, not problems but I, I, I regularly struggle to explain to people uh, that these paintings really need to be seen in the flesh to really understand them because although I can take front-on shots you get an idea you can see where shadows might be and if you, you know I regularly get emails from people say oh I just got it I just understood what you're what you meant by it. it's like a pop-up book but you really do need to see them from a whole range of angles and you suddenly get to see that uh, behind it is, I mean, I, I, I'm a maker, so, uh, and I guess like yourself, the, the technical aspect of making them is as much fun sometimes as mm. the end result. So in the past, I used to try and hide all the components that actually make, make these paintings sit out from the canvas. But I, I, I think the world that goes on behind the canvas is not as beautiful, but it's interesting. Mm, yeah, well, it's part um, of the story. It's part it? of the story, yeah. yeah. I love the fact when, you, you know, when these paintings go into galleries, you see people looking at them and they go to the side and have a look and they creep up around the side, they look over their shoulder to make sure no one's looking and then they stick their head behind to try and work out what's going on inside. Around the back. Oh, so, yeah, and it's a world in behind there. There's a thousand, I mean, you know, yeah. there's a thousand things going on behind those paintings. Yeah. Um, all painted up to look plain and simple. Uh, yeah, it's kind of complicated. Yeah, well, there's, there's an entire structure. It's sort of like, you, you know, you jump in the car and drive it, but there's yeah, the yeah. motor and the running gear yeah, and everything yeah. else it's that makes dressed, you actually drive. Dressed up beautifully, yeah. but behind these facades of hyper-simplicity are hmm. actually kind of complicated. Yeah, right? yeah I don't know. You, you, you're just working that out now. Yeah. I'm trying to put these things together yeah. for me. Yeah. But, um, so how long, have you been doing, how long have you been doing this art form and how long have you been doing art? Uh, okay. Well, I guess I finished art college about 15 years ago. Uh, and there's an evolutionary process. As I said, when I finished, I was still doing some ceramics. Um, <coughs> the ceramics themselves was quite sculptural ceramics, so they had all this kind of, um, I guess, characters. There, there are narratives and all lots of stuff going on around them. Um, it led to painting. So I guess I've been painting like this. It's a refinement. So I guess this sort of work maybe for five years or so, and it's developed very much so. I mean, there's a painting, um, that one across there, which, stored away there which was the first time I, I kind of got the idea of making layers and and building your painting out and making it something that's just not flat on canvas um, it's a clunky piece of work but I like it because it is it's that it's it's that it's that point where you suddenly where the clogs tick and you go ah yeah, hang that, on that moment of inspiration we could make something cool here yeah, yeah. yeah. and you know and that's what it's about it's, you know it, it sounds kind of a bit it's simple, but um, I, I love making these things because they're fun, and like mm. I, I love the making. Um, you know, like it's not. I'm not really trying to say anything. I'm not trying to, you know, answer any great questions of life. But it's just about making beautiful things and having fun. You know, having fun doing it. 
So you've been doing it 15 years. Yeah. How many years have you been rolling in the cash that you're currently oh, rolling in? Oh, heaps of years. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm going to take you home and have a bath and dollar notes and a little bit, <laughs> good, like my good. cigar. I usually like my cigar with a 50. Um, uh, not that long. <laughs> um, yeah, it's, uh, I would honestly say that after 15 years of um, a solid art practice, and that was always, you know, it has been uh, supplemented by doing things like props and sets and all, uh, working for a builder, all those jobs that you think, oh, well, they, these mean nothing to me, but in actual fact, they're all learning and you, you never get to the end without doing all the bits and pieces. Um, but I would say that this is probably the first 12 months of my life where I've had what I would, what I perceive is a regular income. Um, I don't think a lot of people would perceive that. At, you know, my, I'm not a vintage gentleman. No, I've no, got no. a lot of good years ahead of me. But, so no, so uni and then 15 years. Yeah. you're in your mid 30s, so yeah. and you basically haven't earned a regular income. Uh, no, no, until. I've had to supplement it fairly regularly. I've had moments where you, you know, had got a big check of, my, you know, sure. big wad of money, and then. But that's most of the time it just goes back on paying the debts that you've accumulated to get to that point. You think so? How have you managed to start becoming a little bit successful? Uh, now well, there's a few. I get, well, I have this theory. Um, it's natural attrition. You get better at what you do. It gets harder. The older you get, the harder it gets to maintain that this is a career because you gather responsibilities no matter what you do. Like, like your like, 12-year-old daughter yeah, and like a mortgage. A, yeah, mortgage yeah. and family. Uh, and so unless you're dedicated, you're going to fall by the wayside and do something else, which is you get a regular income. You know, Not that everything in life comes down to money, but we all pay bills. Have you so, been tempted to just bail out and go and get a job as a clerk keep, somewhere? No, because I keep telling myself it's too late. <laughs> But um, it's, so my theory goes, it's natural attrition. You get better. The pool that you're swimming in gets smaller. Uh, and uh, you've just got to be dog-headed and kick in there and just go hard. And, oh, so know. basically you're a ruthless bastard. And you sort of uh, figured yes. that of the you know, graduating <laughs> 50 art students. Well, here's the deal. I, there's the, going to be one or two survivors yeah. and you're going to make sure well, the, you're the, one of them. In Australia, the, I think the statistics work out that there's, I think it would become close to 1% of practicing artists in Australia uh, make an income from it, and I think it's 0.5 of that. Now you have, you're not recording, are you? You can't te- check these statistics. I mean, it wouldn't but it's it. tiny. Nobody knows how to use Google on it. <laughs> but it's tiny. The amount, the amount of people who actually make an income out of, of visual arts in Australia is absolutely tiny because the buying population is really small. Like the, you know, you. And so I would imagine from the my the the characters that I went to uni with, I don't know. I think there's one maybe out of a class of 28 that would be still a practicing artist or still ma- or making an income out of that. I mean, I haven't heard or It's pretty them. sad, isn't it? You know, uh, like when you go into, yeah, yeah, when yeah. you go into art college with these grand expectations yeah, of yeah. being an artist. It's a good time. You, you see the world with, um, it's a very exciting time. Oh yeah, but yeah. you go in with these expectations and then you end yeah. up getting a job as a clerk. Uh, yeah, well, I mean, a lot, a lot of people end up doing, I guess, the supportive jobs in the arts. They, you know, they might get to arts administration or they become, they do a dip ed and become a teacher. So they can get a you know get an income or yeah you know they do all that kind of there's a whole range of periphery jobs yeah. within the arts they get a job in a gallery or they do, you know all this sort of stuff and so I guess they're still involved in it uh, but not that many get through to the other side <coughs> as as art well as practicing yeah. commercial artists I don't know if that's the right word for it but and I makes an income out of their work so you're actually making income now hmm. 
Do you want to explain to us how you're making your income at the moment? Because sure, it's, sure. It's, a, it's a fascinating, it's unusual. unusual way yeah. to be making income, and I think it says yeah. a lot about the people who are supporting you. Well, I have a, re- a really good relationship with... We, I have two good relationships amongst all my good relationships in life. Um, my major professional relationship is with the gallery I show with in Melbourne, uh, Metro Gallery. And, <clears throat> excuse me, I, I'm two... I've shown with them for about five years, I've had two solo shows with them amongst the group shows I've had with these guys. Uh, and after my last show, 2000, late 2008, uh, the director of the gallery, we were having a conversation and I said to him, look, one of the great problems I'm having, I'm sure lots of people have, is that uh, income, no matter what I do, there's, a, like, there's this span of this 18 months between shows with you. Uh, and how do I maintain an income so that I can get to that other point so I can make the money? Because generally what happens is that by the time I get there, I've clocked up enough debts that the money's wiped off. You know, I think, oh, great, I've got a fantastic check. It just clears my debts and I'm back to where I was. Uh, and so they suggested, and they've done it a couple of times with, uh, with other artists, uh, and it's worked well most of the time um, in that they, supply, they put you on a... They pay me once a month a, a retainer of sorts on the proviso that, I mean, it's a handshake agreement, so they're putting, investing a lot of faith and trust in me, uh, but on the idea that I, that stops me from having to do other jobs, it means that I don't have to stress about bills, uh, I can pay my rent my, on my studio, my mortgage, uh, I can start employing people to give me some technical help so that I can up my production. It works well for them. And also, I guess it, it, uh, it develops a loyalty that I have with Metro Gallery in that uh, oh, they're doing right by me. In the long run, they'll do well out of me. Uh, but it, you know, it makes a better relationship in knowing that, I, that I'm going to work every, every Monday, uh, knowing that I don't have to stress. I mean, the amount of stress, I mean, I'm kind of used to it. And it doesn't bother me not having money in my pocket because that's how I've most of the time I've always lived. Uh, so basically, they're paying you a retainer, paying so retainer. that you don't have to stress about the money. Every month, you know that you're lumping yeah. checks coming through. I get through, and then as the year goes by, what you send okay. paintings to them? Uh, I send paintings to them. My the production rate of my paintings are quite low because they're they're quite slow to produce. So I don't have a great deal of excess of work. But the agreement we came to was that uh, my next show, we would sit down. I send extra works to them. They have I have a range of commissions. That comes with people uh, order paintings through the gallery, um, and I do them as a extras outside of my next show. After my next show, we sit down and we reconcile the differences in terms of uh, money's paid or money's owing, uh, and then we work it out in terms of painting. So they look at how much they've paid you over the year with yeah. your retainer and compare that with yeah. the value well, of their commission yes. on the paintings. Yeah. And depending on how it balances out, maybe you get a check for what's left over if yeah. you've sold extra paintings yeah. or maybe, maybe owe you them owe them a painting yeah let's let's look at that yeah. way <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and, yeah, yeah and you can see the sense in it because oh, it, it, it means is, that all of a sudden you're freed up yeah. to actually you yeah. know, get into it's it. been one of the most fantastic uh changes in my life uh that I, as a as a yeah, as a practicing artist i mean i'm aware that i mean running a gallery is an expensive thing and so i'm aware that you know in the current climate i mean art doesn't always sell and so you're investing faith in the fact that your artist that you're, that you're providing this income to is going to sell their work. Uh, I mean, I've been lucky through these guys and they, they sell pretty much everything that arrives in their gallery uh, pretty much immediately. So we have a, they have some faith in it. 
So it would make sense if you could up your production because if they can sell everything that arrives oh, in the well, gallery, there so it's there's more money for them, more money yeah, for yeah. you. It's a mutually beneficial experience. So how do you up your production? Uh, well, I spend some of my wage on, on uh, the good skills of, of, the, uh, of a technical assistance like yourself to, um, to up my production so that I can not only reach a bigger audience, but, uh, but also um, you know, it increases my income, increases the gallery's income, you know, it spreads money throughout the arts. You know, it's a, it's a, How long does it take for you to produce by yourself one of these paintings? Uh, the big ones, well, the 120 by 120s. Um, usually about that's uh, 1200 millimeters by 1200 millimeters yep. yeah um, they usually take I would say from design to finish uh, we're about six weeks so then, I mean that's from that's that's from sitting down with pen and paper or pencil and paper and actually starting the process right. see a lot um, of people don't appreciate how much time goes into that you know oh, they get shocked when I, when I mean I, I, I don't meet a lot of the clients because I live in Brisbane and the gallery my, my main outlet is in Melbourne but when I sit down with them which is fairly irregular regularly uh, and I explain to them how much time goes into them you can see their eyes eyes open and they suddenly realize what they're buying is actually quite a cheap uh, and fairly cost-effective um, exercise from their point of view just to give you an idea folks when I saw Chris doing some of these paintings I noticed that he took two days to paint a pair of lips on one of these paintings two days just for the lips oh hot lips Ian. yeah no, they're great you know <laughs> but yeah, you know, like I would never yeah. have imagined that it would have taken it's two days. It's pretty slow. Yeah, you, know, you just yeah. get some red paint and you go splash. Yeah. You know, you know, forty seconds later you're into the next thing. No, in, yeah. In some respects, I'm a little bit. Uh, I have friends who are painters, and <clears throat> some of them are their style and their, 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 their method of working is pretty quick and fast and slapping paint around. And I love that kind of work. Uh, unfortunately, it's not what I do. And um, yeah, uh, the, I think you're more inclined to move towards the super realism than you are yeah, towards exactly. Jackson Pollock. Exactly right. Yeah. yeah. Maybe when I'm old and I, I can, you know, I can, I can regress. No, yeah. really, ooh, I can't say that. There's, <laughs> not, there's not a regression, but um, uh, yeah, maybe one day we slap yeah. paint around. Yeah. And I, you know, I have a good friend um, who, who paints like that, and we occasionally have in the past sat down, and his exercise was purely to get me to loosen up and splash paint around, and I enjoyed it. It was, it was great fun. But when you turn his back, I tighten things up a bit, and yeah. Okay. But yeah, there's a very slow process, these paintings. Yeah, yeah, but they're stunning. Um, you sell through the gallery at the moment. What about private sales? What's the situation with private sales? Uh, and and, and yeah. in a way, I want to talk about them because a lot of people don't realize you know, galleries take, what, 50%? Uh, generally there's speaking? a range of different percentages. So it runs from, it used to be 33 was the general percentage, uh, up to 50%. The gallery I deal with, uh, I pay 50% commission on, on the sales of my work. Uh, in saying that though, most, most galleries now generally work at 40, however there are associated costs with that in that um, when I say I pay 50% commission, I, there are no other outgoings. The gallery pay for all publications, uh, transported work, uh, insurances and all that sort of stuff. Now a lot of people would say, you know, you've just slaved for six weeks to reduce this thing mm. and the gallery mm. just hangs it on the wall, mm. invites a few people to come <coughs> around and have you know, you know, chicken crackers fine, yeah, and, fine and wine and, <laughs> and cheap cask wine, and, they, and they're making fifty percent. It's a bit rude. Uh, there would, yeah. I mean, that's what, what people yeah, would yeah, think. Yeah, sure. Oh, look, you know, and there are times in my life where I, th you know, a part of me still thinks, well, I'd love to put that fifty percent back in my pocket because you know it makes a huge, I mean, it effectively doubles the income that I get from my painting. However, first thing is that I don't, uh, in the circles of move, I don't know any of these characters who have that kind of expendable income. 
Uh, Man, you know time. characters like me. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I know, I'm mixing the wrong crew. <laughs> um, uh, you know, so they're, they're fine, the clients. Uh, and I, I'm aware that they're also building your work into collections. And they're an, by doing that, you're also able to lift your prices. So I wouldn't, there is some suggestion that I wouldn't be getting the money I'm getting now if I wasn't selling through a gallery that has a reputation like Metro, uh, if, as an example. So, so how many of your own paintings do you have? Uh, very few, actually. Um, my mortgage doesn't allow me to collect that many. Basic, I've got all the duds. <laughs> basic, basically, and I've heard the story a few times from different craftsmen, and you know, I'm talking about sculptors, really, yeah, yeah. really clever people. They can't afford their own work. Well, I can't afford my own. No, no. Unfortunately, I've got all the ones that no, I can't sell. <laughs> so, um, I'm, I, yeah, I'm hoping that this year that I actually want to keep one of these large ones for myself. I mean, there, there's, a, there's a strong theory that most artists should be keeping their best painting from every show. Uh, as, as effective their superannuation uh, because if very few artists you know have a super fund that they're building up for retirement I mean you know I, I don't look forward to retirement because I love what I do but there will be you know there'd be lovely to have a time in your life where you think oh, fuck, I, I actually don't have to go to work for some time and just take some time off and uh, yeah I mean at the moment I'm, I'm working so hard that it, that I don't actually have that downtime where you can have time to experiment with new work uh, I took some time off over Christmas and um, yeah, it was fantastic, but I suddenly realised what it was like not to work. And um, it, sounds, it sounds pathetic, but... Um, but... But it sounds contrary to the average expectation of an artist's oh, yeah, lifestyle. Exactly sitting right. yeah, sitting yeah, yeah, yeah. there, staring at the canvas yeah, with your glass yeah, with of... my glass of wine. Yeah, and, Merlot yeah. in your hand going, mm, yeah. and mulling over <laughs> it for three days, you know? Oh, like, I want that lifestyle. But that's not how it is at no, all. No, no. I mean, Actually, you call this a studio. This isn't a studio. It's a friggin' workshop. It's a workshop. I mean, you know, this seven, is as much a cabinet yeah. maker's workshop as yeah. I've ever seen. Yeah. I um, mean, it's, yeah, exactly that. I don't, think, I don't think a lot of pre people appreciate how um, bare bones artist studios are. Mm. Yeah. I mean, it's, I, I love this place because it's like my big cubby house. But, I'm, you know, I mean, you know what it's like here. I mean, I mean I, I, you know, it's work from 7.30 in the morning till, you know, usually 6, 6.30 at night. You know, five, it used to be seven days a week. Uh, so, you know, I now enforce weekends so I can um, go and work at home. So, um, is it worth it? Uh, I think so. <laughs> I mean, it's hard to say. I mean, I, I love what I do and there's, I wouldn't want to do a single, there's nothing else I want to do. And I guess that's why I've kind of just put my head down and gone, oh, you just got to keep going and being dog-headed about it because, uh, uh, yeah, I guess I'm really so, pig-headed. So, so being pig-headed, is that the reason you've been You seem to be becoming successful, uh, or, you know, which means well, that anybody can become successful if they're pig-headed, or is it just you're talented or blind luck? I think it's a combination of fine talent and blind luck. <laughs> no, it's a combination of all of them. You have to be, I mean, you know, most artists, I think, would honestly say that it's a lot, a lot about being at the right place at the right time, finding the right person that will actually promote your work and can find an audience, a marketable audience or, or, you know, to market your work. And unfortunately, it keeps coming, I keep coming back to sales of work, but that enables you to go back to the studio and keep working. Uh, you know, it's awesome to make beautiful paintings, but unless you're selling them or finding an audience or a market for them, you end up having to do other jobs. And then all of a sudden, your five days in the studio go down to two, uh, and then go down to one, and then you just don't do it anymore. So it's a combination of finding the right per I mean, I'm very lucky and you know, I have a really good relationship with, uh, we also have a gallery in Brisbane, which we, I sell some of the smaller, uh, much less expensive works through. Uh, 
and I have a great relationship with both of them. So it, it's a matter of finding the right person. I mean, I still get knockbacks. I, you know, I email pictures off to people regularly. And, I mean, the, the art scene is full of uh, knobs and snobs. And um, it's really, it's unfortunate. You know, I'm very lucky in that, and I, I mean, I don't really stand for that kind of stuff. So I'm lucky that the people I deal with are at the high end, but they're also very real people. And I can have a very real and honest conversation about all the bullshit that sometimes goes on in, in any of these sort of things. Do you take commissions? Uh, I do take commissions. I, I, I used to do it. I mean, I, there was there's a whole range of these crazy portraits I did for a while to try and anyway they were good. That was it was a, a skill building. Um, I don't do too much commission work unless I have pretty much complete creative control over it. Is this one behind me here? Uh, one of those? Yes, this is a commission I had. A, this and this is this, we're going to take a photo of this so you'll see it. It's actually a a young girl with some butterflies. It is floating around. Here. Yeah, um, I, a client that I have through the gallery in Melbourne. Um, they missed out on a painting from my last show, which is kind of loosely based on, I mean, if you look at the Ian's website, you'll see it. Um, it's loosely based on 50s illustration. It's a, it's a Dick and Jane, uh, faraway tree style uh, of storyline. Um, anyway, the client missed out on this one particular painting, so they ordered one for their daughter. Um, they wanted butterflies as opposed to birds, which was the original one, and it was fine. I put it off for a while, it was, uh, but I've enjoyed painting it immensely. It's been a lot of fun, actually. Mm. And they're all great learning. It's all problem solving. You know, it's paint, but it's you're solving problems with it. Mm. Um, so this one, and they also bought two other paintings. So there's a few Chris Booths in their house now. Oh, that's great. Well, on their, on their way to their house, which is yeah. great. And, you know, it's, I find it amazing that there are these people who are happy to invest such, you know, light, what seemingly large sums of money on uh, on work and I particularly like this painting I mean it's not really what I it's not what I would paint right now but as we spoke about the other day you actually with this paint particular painting because it's going it's a present for a young girl it will be in her room and it will be part of her childhood and she will have a whole range of stories and a whole and she'll have a whole relationship with this painting mm. when it leaves here it when she's an adult she'll remember this painting and uh, I may meet her I may not but she will develop her own relationship with it and her own stories and she'll wonder about it I kind of think it's kind of, I, I, I kind of like that. I think mm. it's, it's quite cool. Yeah, it is. The whole artist's life, how valid is it? Would you recommend it? Has it been good for you? Is it getting, how is it going? Where is it going? All that sort of thing. Um, the artist's life, yeah, it's good. <laughs> I mean, I, you know, if I yeah, had yeah. spoken to you two years ago. Oh, I, yeah. look, I would say the same thing two years ago. Uh, I probably would have been under some other pressure, but uh, I guess more financial pressure, but I would still say that it's, I mean, I, I spent my 20s as a, I was a fairly well, I was a very well-behaved child, and I spent my 20s rebelling against my well-behaved attitudes, um, sometimes to my detriment, but you know, it's all of life experience is really, is valid, and it builds, you know, it builds all the layers that, that make you a full and whole person. I mean, I'm my own boss. You know, I, I, every day I get to make, I mean, I could, uh, yes, it's a lot of lot, I mean, long hours and, you know, financially it can be quite tricky. Uh, what I make may never sell, but I, get, but, it's, but I get to not play so much, but I get to build and make things every day, things that I want to make. Um, and I get to ex ex express my creative self uh, every time I go to work. You know, I get to listen to music that I love all day, every day. 
Um, but you know, you, you have to. Fill, but, but you can have a more pragmatic lifestyle rather than this ethereal sort of artist lifestyle. You can go and get a. You can go and have a job as a, yeah, yeah. a you know, a mechanic. Yeah, but this is not. This is not. I don't think this is that different to a mechanic's lifestyle. That's the thing. You know, I mean, you see what it's like. I go to work, uh, and it's work. It's. Um, I mean, there's no boss over my shoulder telling me this, that, and the other thing. However, you know. But it's, it's, it's a job, you know, I think it, it, lots of people say, oh, so yeah, what do you do when you go to work? What if you have a creative block? Like, there's so many, I mean, there's so many, that, these things just don't happen because you just, you know, you're on a slow roll and you just, there's always something that you need to get done. You're going to work, you know, when I arrive here in the morning, it's work. Um, it's a great job, but, you know, it, it is work. Uh, yeah. So a lot of people have the impression that the artist lifestyle is one of, Wine and roses, you know, you're swinging uh, around, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, and it's yeah. not, is it? Yeah, that, that's oh, basically no, no, what no. you're saying. It's, yeah. it's work. Well, it, yeah, it, I mean, I it's do. Production. It's, it's production. It's production. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I have a couple of friends um, who live more of that life, and that when they're they're painters, uh, and uh, their productions, their production rates not so high. They're not pushing themselves so hard, and they do drink a lot of wine at work, but they're they're not the norm. And most painters I know, almost artists I know, are actually really hard working. Uh, characters who you know who realize that, that you know if they have a window they've got to go really hard because that window might close uh, and so you know you really do have not one shot at it but you know you've really got to grab every opportunity that you can get to uh, you know it's a competitive you know it's a competitive field there's not so many buyers out there. there's not so many avenues with which to show your work it's really hard to get commercial representation uh, it's really hard to make a living out of it um, but if you can, it's fantastic. You know, I wouldn't swap this for anything in the world. I can't think of any other job that I'd rather do um, ever. I mean, you, you, we met myself and we met many years ago, you know, slaving away for other people's creative projects, um, fulfilling other people's design uh, ideas, and that's, that's fantastic. But uh, it's lovely to be fulfilling your own creative destiny rather than uh, allowing someone else to fulfill theirs. And I, you know, as a, as a self-employed artist, I guess that's what you do. You, you kind of you follow through your own ideas and your own, you know, it's a challenge, your own design challenges. It's great. So where do, where do you think this is going to go in the next little while? Do you have um, any ideas? Yeah, well, I'd like to, I'd like to be showing some of this work uh, in Japan particularly. Uh, there's, an, I, there's an audience there for this sort of work. I mean, I, th I love the fact that I look back um, on work that I did two or three years ago and you can see huge differences. Well, you showed me this the other day. Yeah. I was amazed that... Um, I, I can see the paintings you've got mm. now, and in my <laughs> untrained, unskilled eye, they look relatively simple. And then you showed me something from what, about 12 months ago, and all of a sudden I realised, no, that oh, is, is simple. Yeah, yeah. What's now, current, is actually quite complicated. And it was shocking to me how much your skill has evolved in 12 oh, months. I mean, any skill, if you're practising enough, enough, as like an athlete, if they run every day or, or, or train every day, you see these great skill developments. If you're doing a day here and then you've got to be off there doing this and your mind's thinking about something else and you, you don't get back to it for a week and a half. I mean, on that table, for example, there's like 28 or 30 different pots of paint, all kind of weird combinations of colours and all sorts of things. You know, it's absolutely, it's a, it's a brain teaser to work out what's going on there. If you walk away from more than a, a week or so, to try and get back there and work out what on earth you were doing is a real, is really hard work. Mm. And it's, it's a skill, you know. You, there was a, years ago, I... I uh, I went traveling in Europe and Asia and I took a, a whole heap of pads of pen and pencil. My, my idea was oh, I'm on holiday, but um, I'm going to teach myself to draw really well. 
And so every day, I mean, I was on holiday. This was when I was you know, early 20s. Um, I would spend two or three hours just drawing. And by the end of that trip, oh, the difference was huge. It's just about you know, practice and skill development. Uh, I mean, I stand in front of these things and I don't really know what I'm doing. I have this theory, you stand in front of it long enough and you'll solve the problems. Uh, and you just keep rubbing your brush around and you know, you'll, come to the, you'll, you'll find a solution to it. Uh, but it is about standing there and practicing and practicing it long enough to, for it to happen sort of subconsciously and without you, without a, uh, without some, it's not always you're aware of what it is that you're doing, but you're solving the problem um, just by practice. Mm. I, um, I heard that they did a bit of a survey of highly successful, experienced people of how much effort they've put in it to become champions, become the best in the world. And it works out at about 10,000 hours. Uh, yeah, I think that's probably... Really, it's really quite simple. You do something <laughs> yeah, for dedicated 10, hours. for 10,000 yeah, yeah. hours and you'll be amongst the best yeah. in the world. Violin, yeah. golf, painting, yeah. it doesn't matter what it is. 10,000 hours, yeah. you're there. Yeah. I, years ago, I remember some, yeah, a similar thing, similar thing was said that uh, if you dedicate 10 years of your life to something and you go hard at it and you really you know, push yourself, you'll be a master at, at whatever it is that well, you're choosing to do. Well, I did the calculations. 10,000 hours is basically most training periods. That's, yeah. that's four years uni, that's four years yeah, apprenticeships, okay. that's four or five year cadetships. Yeah, it's yeah. Those, that's the length of time. Eight hours a day, 48 weeks a year yeah. is, is about four or five years, yeah. is about 10,000 10, hours. Yeah. That's where most people start to get what yeah. you call their basic level of competency. Yeah. That's the beginning. Yeah, yeah. 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 So um, it's as simple as that. You know, you've done your 15 years with a few, your few breaks. And, yeah, yeah. You know, right. you've, you've probably done your 10,000 hours. Oh, I think so. I mean, yeah, most definitely. It's, it's, it's about the only way to really get there is just to keep going mm -hmm. and just to keep practicing, practicing, and practicing. I mean, these are all fact. I mean, in two years, you come back to these things and you go, oh, at the time, I thought they were the most beautiful thing I could ever do. And, you know, no, you know I said to you the other day, it's one of the. the Fortunate, unfortunate things about what I do is that you're not paying to price, you're paying to outcome. Um, you know, it's about getting the best outcome every time, um, which is why they take so long, sort of. I mean, part of technique and all that sort of stuff. But um, you know, in two years' time, you'll come back and you go, oh, well, now I'm sort of another 5,000 hours down the track. Uh, I can see a big difference. You know, the training's keeping on working. Yeah, you know, yeah. hopefully, you yeah. know, they, they keep evolving, they get better. You know, and you keep. Yeah. And your prices go up, and you yeah. become more in demand because you're yeah. a better artist, and you know. We keep, yeah, and you keep uh, developing new puzzles to solve, and so they become uh, complicated but simpler. You know, once you simplify the the issue that's in front of you, then you develop something that's even more complicated, and you keep pushing yourself, and uh, away you go. So yeah, I get excited by it. They're really, you know, when I pulled those pictures out the other day and showed you, um, and I was thinking about um, when I look at those. I mean, at the time I thought they were, you know, they were the best things I could do. Uh, and, and now I look at them and go, oh, God, they're clunky and they're all sort of bumpy and bruisey. So I mean, I get really excited when I think about you know, where these will be in two years, let alone 10 years. Um, yeah, I mean, there's still problems in these. Oh, I can't see them yet. But, you know, you revisit these things later on. You go, oh, God. So where, where do you want to be? Where, where's the next little goal in your life? Where, do you want, uh, where would you uh, like to be in 20, 30 years? Would you, oh, look, you know. I, have you got any idea or are you just basically fumbling uh, from one decade to I'm the next? I'm fumbling. <laughs> I've done that most of my life. I mean, I have an end goal. In the day. I mean, I'm, I'm kind of, in some respect, not only my end goal now, but I am exactly where I wanted to be. And I've spent most of my adult life working towards exactly where I am right now. I mean, I'm, I'm no rich man. There isn't any money in the bank, but it's not. You know, I can come to work and I'm not strung out about the fact that I, I can't even afford the paint or I can't afford, 
uh, to get the work photographed or I've got to go off and do other jobs. And it all comes down to like, uh, it, you know, it allows you just to be in there and work and develop your skills and get better and better. Mm. Yeah, it's a great thing that the gallery's done for you. Oh, I it's think. awesome, absolutely it's awesome. Just, yeah, it's yeah. a great idea. So do you have a web presence? Uh, well, interestingly enough, um, I was on a, 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 a website that deals with art, design, all that architectural and stuff, and they're in contact with me today, um, asking to have a look at some of my, some of my works. And uh, I sent them some I sent them some links to websites that have my work. The first thing they said they wrote back was it was a you know it's a one word thing. You should have a website. Right. And I said yeah, of course, of course. And I, for the last five years, maybe. More, I've been saying, yeah, I'll get that done this year. Yeah, well, I've been talking and, to you about maybe helping you get a blog, so maybe we'll get a blog up for you. I need to get more of a web presence. Okay. Yeah, most definitely. Okay. I mean, one of the things that... Uh, so, at the moment, the gallery's web address, what's that? Uh, uh, metrogallery.com.au. Okay. okay, they'll do for the moment as far as the audio is concerned. Yeah, yeah. And when you get a website up, I'll put it over on the blog. Fantastic. Go and so, have a look. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. The, the, and, and I'll put some photos up in regards yeah. to what we've been talking about today and, um, and we'll update it as you get a, a website and web Fantastic. presence and all that sort of stuff. Okay. When I become an adult. When you become a grown-up. <laughs> when right. I grow up. <laughs> Chris Booth, artist extraordinaire, thank you very much oh, for coming pleasure. on your story and sharing it with us. Thank you very much, Ian. Bye-bye. <laughs> Bye-bye. <laughs> Eight million stories in the naked city. This has been one of them.